Hello, welcome back to another great episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I am your host, Cody Kelly. Uh, I'm excited about tonight's podcast. Um, coming to you, this is our 16th episode. A little milestone for me. Uh, we're going to be getting into and covering the Saudi Arabia oil field attack. Also going to be getting to uh, some news that has been developing out of Walgreens and Comcast Uh looking at temporarily slashing its price we're also going to be covering trump and his view toward the california the state of california's right to set their own auto emission Uh, that's going to be an interesting cover and then also going into the revolt the revolt conference that happened uh, last week and just some of the feedback and response and some interesting cultural perspectives uh, in regards to that and lastly just some chicago uh, politics chicago news some interesting developments out of the uh, outlook fiscal outlook for the city of chicago and recent housing development out of the city of reno of the state of nevada this is your host cody kelly look forward to getting into it with you thanks great article written by Yalia Talmazin, Ali Arozi, Daniel Arkin, and Sephora Smith on the uh, interesting developments coming out of the Saudi Arabia oil field attack. The Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on Wednesday has accused Iran of perpetrating an act of war after weekend strikes on the oil facilities in Saudi Arabia, saying that the attack had the fingerprints of the Ayatollah. This was a an Iranian attack, direct quote from Pompeo, told reporters after a flight to the Saudi Arabian city of Jeddah, we were blessed that there were no Americans killed in this attack, but anytime you have an active war of this nature, there's always a risk that could happen. And even if fraudulent claims of responsibility by Yemen's Iranians-backed uh, Houthi rebels were true, Pompeo told reporters it doesn't change the fingerprints of the Ayatollah as having put at risk the global energy supply. U.S. officials uh, with the latest intelligence, I've told NBC News that the attack originated geographically from Iran with a series of low-altitude cruise missiles fired from at least one location in the western region of the country. Pompeo's comments on Wednesday has marked an escalation of U.S. rhetoric on Iran, and they plan to meet with the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman to discuss the attack and coordinate efforts to counter Iranian aggression in that region, according to the U.S. mission to the United Arab Emirates. He then travels to Abu Dhabi and the UAE. The Trump administration is weighing a range of options for retaliatory strike against Iran, including a cyber attack or physical attack on Iranian oil facilities or Revolutionary Guard assets. U.S. officials and others have been briefed on the deliberations. Kind of my thoughts, um, obviously, no such thing. I mean, the, the detriment is that there is escalating conflict in that region, and that is something that is sad, uh, something that you would like to see, not just a decrease in, but an elimination of. <laughs> and to jump to the point to call it an act of war might be premature, but it might not be out of the ballpark. I don't think that an act of war means that the immediate response is to go to war. Obviously, all peace uh, keeping or non-military, non-military action Uh, And the prevention or de-escalation of uh, this subject is needed and helpful and uh, of urgence. Uh, I think that the 
next step obviously is, is probably a good one to meet with the crown prince um Mohammed Salman and discuss strategically how both entities both countries can you know formulate uh, a coalition of peacekeeping and really be for that peacekeeping obviously if these attacks as reported have uh, originated out of Iran there needs to be further investigation I think investigation is the key word and trying to get the right group not just group but individuals specifically uh, because the bad thing is or the 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 misstep is to blame the whole for a small faction, a small part. Uh, you don't want to create this escalated tension because um, of something that is this serious, but necessarily is not stemming from the sole source of government in Iran. Uh, there has to be communications with the um, state of Iran and their leadership and understand you know kind of a response to this what is going on uh to get some feedback for them and then kind of build a strategy off of that and some uh strides have been made iranian president hassan uh rouhani has said that saudi arabia should see the attack on its oil facilities this weekend as a warning to end the war in yemen and i think that's kind of the point if this is retaliation because of um a military escalation by the Saudi Arabian government. Uh, now, two wrongs don't make it right, so I'm not going to excuse one party over the other, but I think it does go to show that it's a very complex nature, um, and just entering into it with physical force isn't the best solution. There has to be a meeting of all minds and all interests on the table, and come out with a effective solution that is peaceful and that benefits the mass. Uh, Saudi Arabia's defense ministry said in a press conference Wednesday that they have evidence that the attack was not launched by Yemen. It was definitely supported by Iran. So obviously this back and forth is because of uh, disagreeing political entities. And those are the entities that have to meet. I think our involvement should only be a buffer and an intermediary, uh, but not the sole driver of the engagement. Our sole purpose is to create and sustain peace. Uh, First home and then abroad, uh, but not to uh, dictate terms toward anyone, but to make sure that there are proper sanctions and proper uh, strategies in place to counter uh, act uh, these negative uh, military escalations. And if they do that, then that would be an effective strategy uh, for the oil attacks in Saudi Arabia. Great article by Paul. Einstein, apparently the executive branch of our United States government under Donald Trump. He is planning to axe California's right to set their own auto emission standards. California has originally, uh, originally was granted the authority to set tougher standards as an acknowledgement of the poor air qualities in their city or in such cities like Los Angeles. Um, this Wednesday, uh, Donald Trump has barred California from setting his own vehicle standards and mission standards, kicking off a battle that is likely to last well beyond the 2020 presidential election. The Trump administration is revoking California's federal waiver on emissions in order to produce far less expensive cars for the consumer, while at the same time making the cars substantially safer, Trump tweeted Wednesday morning, noting that the move will lead to older, high-polluting cars. 
being replaced by new, extremely environmental-friendly cars. The widely anticipated move comes as the White House prepares to roll back the strict corporate average fuel economy, or the CAFE Act, uh, standards set under President Barack Obama using its authority to set emission targets. California had set even tougher standards that effectively required the auto industry to begin rolling out fleets of zero-emissions vehicles, including plug-in hybrids, pure battery electric vehicles, and hydrogen-powered cars. There will be very little difference in emissions between the California standard and the new U.S. standard, but the cars will be far safer and much less expensive, Trump wrote. Many more cars will be produced under the new uniform standard, meaning significantly more and more jobs, Trump is emphasizing. These, this is my thoughts. It is a bad move. First of all, it's a bad move against the environment, against the EPA standards, against a act, an act that was enacted and set uh, by President Barack Obama. I feel like this is more of an attack and an indictment of President Barack Obama than it is actually something that you think will create jobs. Um, yes, do uh, more fuel-efficient, higher-tech, uh, safer cars cost a little bit more on average? But oh, yeah, there's an argument to be made. There's empirical evidence to suggest so. But if the uh, safer cars lead to less fuel consumption, uh, so in the midst of rising gas prices, therefore creating a balancing effect over uh, in longer tenure, then basically both average out. This is something that needs to be done. Uh, climate change is a real thing. The pollution and toxicity in the air is not uh, science fiction. It is science fact. And it's something that we have to be serious about. It's something that we have to make uh, an important issue, make it an important issue. We have to be diligent in our efforts to reduce uh, our carbon footprint. And this state act by California being really proactive and making sure that they're the ones to step out on it, you know, was a good thing. To roll back this to make it more um, according to the federal standard when you actually got to roll back the federal standard and say that it will actually produce more jobs and more cars. I don't think it's uh, you can't prove it. Uh, you know, it's not going to produce it's not going to, I should say, enforce or infuse uh, or, or motivate or encourage or influence manufacturers to produce more cars, therefore hire more workers. That rate is set and adjusted by technology, adjusted by uh, demand uh, for certain manufacturers, certain cars. That rate has already been established. This act is to make sure that what we do produce is not negatively affecting us in the long term or the long run. And when you're mass producing, obviously you can adjust certain standards. Can there be a wavering? It's not like it was a hard tax if your car you know, it was released prior to. So this is only for newer vehicles anyway. And it's something that we all should know. Um, you know, our, our, our emissions, our air quality is of high importance. Uh, and we have to take the appropriate steps to make sure that we uh, can have a sustainable earth and leave a globe and leave a planet that can be utilized by its inhabitants. Uh, California originally was granted the authority to set the standards under the Obama administration, and those standards should be left alone. A lot of times they're always arguing for states' rights, but when states actually do the right thing, it seems like there's a counteraction. Um, 
The White House is preparing to follow through on plans to eliminate the waiver. California Governor Gavin Newsom has issued a statement warning that the move could have a devastating, and that's it, devastating consequence for our kids' health in the air that we breathe if California were to roll over. California Governor Gavin Newsom is absolutely correct. Um, it is a devastating consequence. It is a devastating move. Uh, this initiative is rolled back, and therefore California has to abide by the new um, executive mandate. Uh, and it will be detrimental to our kids and future generations and ultimately the air quality that we breathe. Oh, I knew it was going to happen because the global economy is slowing down because the U.S. economy, even though it is still showing signs of growth, that growth rate has and is decreasing incrementally. The Federal Reserve Bank has decided to decrease slice interest rates for a second time since the 2008 recession. Lucy Bailey, on uh, her article, writes that the Federal Reserve has cut its benchmark lending rate by one quarter of a point. The second time this year, it has reduced rates in the face of a weakening global economy. The central bank's new interest rate is now 1.75% to 2%, according to a statement issued after a two-day monetary policy meeting by the Federal Open Market Committee, the voting arm of the Fed. While President while Donald Trump has repeatedly pushed the rates for zero or less, the move he believes will boost the economy and drive the stock market higher, Federal Chairman Jerome Powell has resisted such pressure on the central bank, an independent and apolitical body. Powell has reiterated in a press conference that after the decision that the Fed remains focused on making data Emphasis on data-dependent decisions and acting as an appropriate body to sustain the economic expansion. Despite prompting a rate cut, Trump was swift to criticize the Fed's move, tweeting that Powell and the Federal Reserve failed again. No guts, no sense, no vision. Trump is totally, totally wrong on this one, amongst other things, but this is another low. Um... So what the Federal Reserve Bank is supposed to do is provide a sense of balance because it is a political body. It is an independent bank. It's quasi-government. To slash rates to a zero or less would increase is is it on a high level right or an accurate assessment from Trump that it would increase lending from institutions because the interest rates would be so low therefore it would increase interest into gaining or at least inquiring of of accessing such capital that is true cannot fault there however the danger is that being this low you don't want to drown the ship um, there are other parameters that need to go in place to ensure that we do not hit this global recession that everybody's talking about. Uh, make sure that we are increasing infrastructure and doing the groundwork to lay a foundation so that we can continue to grow so that the U.S. economy and ultimately the global economy continue to flourish. Um, the interest rates cuts from the Federal Reserve Bank is what I would call... Um, I won't call it a band-aid to a 
to a, a major wound. But I, I will say it, it's 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 not as strong as super glue, but it's stronger than a Band-Aid. <clears throat> something that needed to be done. Something that uh, was enacted to create compromise and to push back or slow down um, the car from uh, going off the proverbial cliff. But uh, there's other things and there's other measures that has to go into place. And the Federal Reserve Bank should not be the only political body or the only entity that is uh, warning about this danger that's coming. These data-dependent decisions is what Jerome Powell is referring to. If the stats and statistics are stating that, hey, if we do not do something soon and urgently, the U.S. economy can come to a halt. Uh, it doesn't matter if you lower the interest rates to negative 0.5. There won't be enough sustainable resource to be lent out or to be gained. There, there has to be a buildup of human capital first. Job creations of living wages and an influx of true middle class, true uh, employee build up, union build up, um, living wage increase build up, capital increase for those making less than uh, I would say two hundred thousand a year build up, uh, making sure that everybody is rising while not allowing the top 1% to float in the cloud, right? So um, this uh, measure right here, it's going to be effective. I'm not I'm not going to say that it's not going to have a positive effect by lowering the interest rates again, but considering that you've lowered the interest rates twice in a matter of 10 years, uh, now you're at an all-time low. Uh, not an all-time low, but definitely a new low, 1.75% uh, to 2%. Uh, uh, from 2%, excuse me, is is a dangerous sign because how low do you go, right? Do you go down to the floor? I mean, I know it sounds cute in the song, but um, in the actuality and the application of a business model, I think this has some serious negative repercussions. Interesting development coming out of Comcast. Uh, Lillian Rizzo states that Comcast is planning to cut its price of its streaming hardware from $5 a month to zero. The uh, cable operator looks to capitalize on internet customer base with the Flexbox and coming Peacock streaming service. Comcast Corporation is making its streaming device available free of charge to its internet-only customers in an effort to capitalize on its expanding broadband customers base as the battle for streaming customers ramps up. The nation's largest cable operator launched Flex 15, at $5 a month. From $5 a month down to zero. Okay, so uh, because cable is utterly ridiculously expensive for no reason, because you can stream and subscribe to what you want and customize programming that you, or not just programming, but content that you actually deem valuable. It has forced companies to readjust, good and bad. Great for the consumer, uh, great for the competitive competitiveness of its pricing. Uh, the, I think, interesting development is the company that figures out it first to put it all together. The Wi-Fi 
the, the streaming platform that has everything that she's looking for um, in a economic package that is unbeatable will to me be the new giant or the new kid on the block. Um, it, it, for a lot of people, they get their Wi-Fi from one source and then they're, you know, subscribe to Hulu or Hulu Live or YouTube TV, Netflix, Apple TV. But it's hard because it's trying to find the right program with the right strategic fit uh, for you, for the individual. Um, and, you know, if you are a person of efficiency and you want to streamline you don't want to just be like I pay my, you know, my my phone bill is, you know, uh, AT and T. My cable bill is, you know, you know, Xfinity, and you know, I'm subscribed to Hulu Live. You know, like it's it's too too many pots, right? Uh, trying to just mm-hmm. get one provider that can do everything and, and anything that you need efficiently at a cost effective price point to me is the name of the game because content is king, without a doubt. Having valuable content, uh, that's why I'm interested in kind of seeing the developments from Apple TV and what they're going to provide. Uh, having programming that is actually wanting to be viewed, <laughs> uh, which I think will actually open up opportunities from a lot of, uh, I won't say underground, or, but rising um, uh, influencers, entertainers, uh, individuals that um, deserve, uh, rightfully so, to be viewed and, and watched but what is going to, I think, happen out of competition, there's going to be a merger of thought. Uh, I, I can see a possible merger coming uh, because obviously, you know, you can't just compete to compete. Uh, one of the ways of growth is through mergers and acquisitions. Uh, so just be on the lookout uh, for the next M&A deal. 2020 Democratic presidential debate. Uh, kind of my thoughts not to be late to the party, just when I wanted some time to reflect and kind of give an overview. I think Mayor Pete uh, did a pretty good job. I think he was really articulate on uh, kind of his vision for the country. I think uh, out of the newest allegations coming out of his police force in South Bend, Indiana, with the firing of their police chief, the uh, their African-American police chief, uh, I think that has to be looked into a little bit further. Uh, but yeah, I think as far as being on the stage itself, I think Mayor Pete did a, a good job. Uh, did not, to me, stand out as far as a clear winner or make something that was so memorable or or definite uh, move to uh, gain uh, influence and polling status. Uh, but nevertheless, a good job. Joe Biden did typical Joe Biden. Uh, I think he was uh, sharper in, to, in the debate. I think he unfortunately suffered a glow blow by Julian Castro. But he himself, I think, held his own. He stumbled on the comments he made in 1973, and that has to be something that has to be looked at. And if Joe would have taken the approach and said that was a mistake then, I do not believe that way now. Uh, you know, and I've evolved from that point. And his comments uh, toward um, really just kind of the onset of reparations and really kind of. Uh, the response uh, that slavery has taken and the vestiges that still exist and then how it's affecting uh, people of color, specifically black people now, uh, Joe Biden did not answer that effectively at all. Uh, Kamala Harris, a little disappointed, did not come out with a bang, did not. Obviously, you can't uh, 
criticize any of her uh, agenda items. You can't criticize her presence, but her willfulness not to stand out, not to put you know the pedal to the metal and just kind of be that candidate that you want to rally behind. Uh, and to kind of play it safe and a little cute, uh, the comment about the Wizard of Oz, just a little band, you know, behind the Wizard of Oz. It, it's 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 cute banter, uh, but politically to me it was not a hit. Uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, strong. I mean, you know, Bernie was a little hoarse, but you know he's been on the campaign trail. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren really kind of kind of took off. You know, I mean, they've been strong and increasing and stable and. Really nothing negative, not in policy, not in... The only thing you can say is that, you know, Elizabeth Warren, you know, Biden brought up uh, the fact that how she was going to pay uh, for her view on um, on uh, health care. Uh, but as far as a candidate to rally behind, uh, I think those two have been probably the strongest in these last three debates. Cory Brooker did a great job. Uh, typical Cory Brooker stuff. I think Julian Castro, I think kind of his... His campaign kind of ran into the mud a little bit on that one. Uh, did a good job on stage. Like I said, the low blow to Joe was a little much. Uh, but other than that, you know, and then Beto, you know, Beto did okay. Uh, I appreciate Beto's um, commitment uh, to El Paso. I, 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 I applaud it. I appreciate Beto's just uh, charisma and, and just um, not just enthusiasm, but his heart. Uh, but I think Beto's having a hard time to gain traction, uh, gaining traction in the polls. Uh, but overall, there's there there's really just four, and not to you know, I know we have others. And Andrew Yang, of course, Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang was actually better. Andrew Yang actually was better overall. I think he answered other questions without mentioning universal basic income. Though I am a proponent of universal basic income. I really was impressed by him. I think as it continues, he will get better. I don't want to see him become a polished politician. And I'm not talking about being a president. He could be a president. I think he'd probably make a great president. I'm talking about, you know, just the polishedness of a politician, I think, is ultimately deceiving. So that's the cool thing about Yang because he's original and authentically him. Uh, but not having a true answer on policies and systemic policies kind of come at his detriment and he needs to be partnered with a team that can help him deliver that message uh, more clearly. In Reno, Nevada, the state that has lost Vegas and the state that has Sin City, uh, Mayor Hillary Sheevey, has announced an ambitious plan to jumpstart the construction of a thousand homes in 120 days. This is a very, very aggressive, but amazingly awesome opportunity and initiative uh, brought on by the mayor. Mayor Hillary has announced these uh, ambitious plans to uh, start. Uh, said that the pilot program would help combat the city's housing crisis by deferring fees. Uh, the city charges for such things as sewer hookups, road infrastructure, to the back end of the project. Awesome growth. I like seeing cities that are, are aggressive, are ambitious, are increasing, are building their infrastructure and real estate and moving people in. And it's all signs of positive economic growth, signs of positive stability. 
uh, signs of just a, a, a growing culture and evolving state that I hope every city ultimately comes into uh, this thousand homes in 120 days. Uh, I'm supportive of this project. I'm sure that the city residents are excited about the new construction that's going to begin. And basically by the new year, they'll be uh, locked and loaded, ready to go. Awesome job uh, to Mayor Hillary. Great article by Greg Hines uh, in Cranes Magazine on politics. Greg goes on to state that Mayor Lori Lightfoot prepares to present her critical first city budget, a key indicator of the health of the downtown office market segment has begun to flash red. This indicator is not the number of jobs or the vacancy rate, but of which continue to be solid by most counts. Rather, the weakness is in its capital flows, the amount of money spent to buy or sometimes build new structures. Chicago still will rank fifth in the country uh, for investment in in the second half of the year, but it reports that the dollar total is slipping down to 57% in the first half. Kind of my thoughts is that... uh, there has been an economic surge within the city of Chicago, primarily within the downtown area. I think the problem that is occurring is that there's not enough new development, uh, not enough new real estate, not enough new enterprise. And the growth has been incremental, but not substantial like if we would have received the amazon headquarters that would have been substantial uh but this is more incremental uh but incremental can be good we did get um the uber uber's decision to lease a four hundred fifty thousand square foot of space in the old post office uh, was a great sign uh, that is uh bringing jobs and having that space and that is a taxable income and that's good but we need more Ubers. We need more giant tech companies, giant companies, period, little companies, all companies to really deem Chicago as the central hub for these uh, United States of America. And when that happens and if you can create a not just a political climate, but an economic climate so that companies can come in and really cease on that momentum, uh, you will have the capital that you're looking for. But I think that's the next step is to create that climate and make Chicago the standout city. Unfortunate news is coming out of the camp of Walgreens, according to an article uh, in the Cranes magazine. Walgreens is suffering uh, kind of an economic regression or scaling back of its beauty supply cosmetic uh, products and really the traffic flow into its retail stores. There's a couple of things. First of all, um, they have not invested enough into the customer experience. you can't just believe that the product can sell itself, uh, that the aisle somehow has the gravity that it needs to to create continuous revenue, continuous profit, continuous growth. In the day and the age of technology and Amazon, the Amazonification of the world, and Walmart even trying to counteract that or get on board with it, you know, if a if an individual is going to get out of their comfort, get out of their home, uh, drive or walk or bus or Uber or whatever means, get to your physical store, 
you have to provide an experience for. Great book uh, written by Pine and Gilmore, The Experience Economy. It talks about that. It talks about creating these experiences for all uh, companies and how to capitalize on them. They, they really get into the Disney experience, Lego stores, and things that drive people to those environments minus the products themselves. Second thing is because Walmart does not have a celebrity or a social uh, influencer that is really as as a spokesperson for a specific brand that's pushing uh, like you don't have like, you know, like LeBron's him. And I love Walgreens, you know, (laughs) like it affects, you know, you know, advertise, 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 getting influencers to. Speak on your brand, speak on your behalf is needed. And when you are a retailer and there's no face to go with it, it's just kind of hard. I mean, Walgreens has a name. Walgreens is probably known more for uh, its pharmacy. Uh, But it's, you know, store has uh, improved somewhat as far as display. But it's always been kind of that, you know, little niche store. And that's what it's always kind of been. Increased competition along the week. Weakening sales of both high-end and private label cosmetics is squeezing the beauty mark, uh, market in the store. And it's always been that niche store. You know, like it was it was above, it was like two steps above Walmart, right? Uh, but now uh, it's getting negatively affected because it has not made the proper adjustments. And there's macro trends in the consumer industry that they have to adjust to. And if they want to continue to grow, if they want to sustained viability, Walgreens is going to have to adopt a consumer experience model. Walgreens is going to have to understand the, not just the science of product placement, that's not what I'm talking about, but the science of human interaction and activity and create something that uh, drives customers into the store. It has to become cool, quote unquote. And until the coolness of Walgreens is um, recreated, uh, redisplayed and revamped, uh, it will continue to be um, basically, uh, I hate to say it, but a, 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 a high-end corner store. And that's basically what Walgreens is becoming. It's the, you know, what was it, health on the corner of happiness and healthy or whatever. Uh, and it always has that kind of corner store niche-based feel. But if it wants to go to the new level, it has to embrace the new economy and the new consumer demand. Interesting financial development in the city of Chicago. Chinese American Bank entering into the Chicago market. Uh, Stephen Daniels goes on to state that a rapidly growing Chinese American run bank based in Los Angeles is entering into Chicago with $32.5 million purchase of the parent of Pacific Global Bank. I've actually actually been inside Pacific Global Bank. Uh, Publicly traded RBB Bancorp, uh, which is $2.8 billion in assets, is paying cash for one of Chicago's Three Chinese-American-owned banks. The banks have announced Pacific Global established in 1994, primarily caters to Chinatown residents. Its loan portfolio is made up mostly of mortgages to Chinese-Americans and immigrants from China with $223 million in assets. The bank is reliably profitable. It's $2.9 million in net income last year amounted to a return on equity of 12.6%. So on course to post a similar profit this year, Airbnb is a parent of Royal Business Bank, principally a business lender in Chinese-American neighborhoods in L.A., and other parts of Southern California, Las Vegas, and New York. The acquisition of Pacific Global Markets 
its entry into Chicago. Pacific Global co-founded CEO Betty Chow, also the single largest shareholder among a group of Chinatown business people, has three branches in Chinatown near Bridgeport. Uh, great news. Uh, anytime mergers and acquisition happens, there's usually a strong of a healthy, viable economy uh, and companies that both want to grow. I'm excited for Airbnb. Um, they're listed on the NASDAQ. I'm excited for what this deal will bring as far as business investments uh, into Chinatown and into Chicago specifically. Uh, this is a great move and a strategic move on their part. And I'm excited for their future uh, and just kind of the overall impact. Uh, obviously, as these continue, uh, their niche is going to expand. And I'm looking forward to the competitiveness uh, of the bank. Um, and like them, I think they're excited to be entering into the Chicago market. Uh, they have stated plans to open up two new branches in Chicago next year. RBB CEO Alan Thien says in a news release the deal will push the RBB over $3 billion in assets. And this is a great thing and great move. This has been another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I'm your host, Cody Kelly. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for connecting with me. Uh, love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts. Hit me up on Twitter, Cody's Life One, Instagram, CVMK33. Love to connect with you. Got some things coming out. The brand logo release will come out this week. All things go the same. Things are building up. We got some interesting things coming for you guys. But until next time, thanks.